Hey, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15 as we finish up this chapter. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 29, we read, And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there. And great multitudes came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them, so that the multitude marveled as they saw the dumb speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not wish to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves and a desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few fish, or small fish. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples in turn to the multitudes. And they all ate. And they were all satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the multitudes, he got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we, uh, we come into your presence, we just thank you for this day. And, and Lord, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you. And I pray that this opportunity will be viewed in that way. That it is an opportunity. That you've allowed each and every one of us to... Uh, worship together and to unite together in spirit and as we look at your word to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts and our lives the way that you so desire to deal with them I pray that as we open our minds and our hearts to your truth that the spirit will begin to work in the areas that need to be worked in and, and Lord that we will respond in such a way that will definitely bring glory to your name honor and that we will certainly be uh, lifting you up as we uh, surrender our lives and make the decision that you would have us to make whether it be some type of encouragement whether it be some type of conviction whether it be some type of uh, revelation, information, revealing, uh, whatever it might be, reproving God. We just pray that, that uh, as it's done in our lives by your Spirit, that you will just uh, uh, help us to yield to you and allow you to do the work that you so desire to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, and I'm sure you have, use it or lose it. Uh, I saw what this truly meant when I was taking 
a foreign language in Dallas. I had a hard enough time taking Spanish, and, and the teacher, believe it or not, she liked me, and she passed me. That's it. She just passed me, you know. But to take Hebrew, that was something else. I mean, you know, it's a, some people grasp that pretty quickly, and, and I'm amazed at it. I think something may be wrong with them, but uh, they, they, they get it. And, but th this professor, who used to be a president of New Orleans, and, and uh, he was at the school that I was at, he, <clears throat> he taught Hebrew. He had served in, in Israel for many years, and he knew it. And it just came so easy to him. And I approached him, and I said, Hey, professor. How long does it take to learn language like you know it? And you seem to remember it so well. All these words and how to use it and you can speak it and, and all of this. Man, it's just amazing. What little technique can I learn to, to learn it, especially for the test? And he said, Mike... It's not like that. It's a lifetime language. He said, matter of fact, it's a language that I have to continue to practice and go over every day in my life I have, so that I can speak it and teach it. In other words, use it or lose it. And this is basically what the Lord is teaching the disciples. Some people have said that this is the same miracle of the feeding of 5,000 as uh, it, he just changed the numbers. And we see that repetitiveness like that would be uh, out of order for a, um, a person of, of uh, Matthew's uh, caliber who delved in and dealt with details all the time. Now, he's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to repeat himself like that. This was another miracle. And we'll talk about why uh, it was a miracle and uh, what he's trying to get across. Uh, as we look at this, we see that it's not because we've not learned a lot of times, and it was with the same with the disciples. It's because we have learned. It's because the problem is because we have not remembered. And to remember what we've heard, we need to use it. We need to practice it. We need to believe it. This is why it's so important with us as believers in Jesus Christ to look every day at how God is at work. Because if you don't, you're going to lose it. Use your faith. Use your spiritual eyes. So often we look at it physically instead of spiritually. We don't go the step further that we need to take, and that is looking beyond what is there physically. We deb with these senses, and it's so easy, isn't it? And this is why so often... We don't believe that God can do certain things. And it takes a step of faith and we'll say, and you've heard this a number of times, 
We've never done it that way. It doesn't work out on paper. This thing, that thing, and all of it's dealing with our senses. And one of the main reasons, and I'm not talking about acting foolishly, one of the main reasons that we cannot walk by faith the way that we should is because we don't practice it every day. Even feeding, hungry. <laughs> we, you know, we've got to trust God. And so, just like mentioned over here, it's talking about the feeding of the 4,000. So Matthew tells us that Jesus and the disciples left the area where he had just performed a miracle on the daughter of the Canaanite woman, Syrophoenician woman. Now, you've got to remember this is moving into Gentile territory, isn't it? And Jesus is teaching them a lesson here. Jesus and the disciples leave and travel along, it says, the Sea of Galilee. And he goes up to the mountain for probably some rest. And it says that great multitudes came to him. And they came to him with those in need, need that needed to be healed. And he healed them. And what does it say? They were amazed, glorifying the God of Israel. They knew that he was a Jew. They didn't know the God of Israel, but they knew that he represented the God of Israel. And so they glorified the God of Israel because of what was being done. And Matthew tells us that Jesus saw the crowd of people who had been following him. And they had been following him for three days. And he had compassion on them because he did not wish for them to be sent away and to faint because of a lack of nourishment. Now, the location here is in the region of the Decapolis, they believe. It's predominantly Gentile. And so it says, And departing from there, Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee, having gone up in a mountain, sitting there, they... Uh, they brought, uh, the multitudes brought many with them, lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. He had compassion on them. So that the multitudes marveled as they saw the miracles happening, the dumb speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And what did they do? Because of this, they knew that his God was at work. They didn't understand everything about it, but they knew that he represented the God of Israel and these miracles were being performed by that divine hand and so they began to glorify this God. This is so very important. As people look at us and as they see our lives at work, do we really glorify the God of Israel? Do we really glorify the one and only God? Can people really pick that out in our lives? Do we have compassion? Do we have concern? Do we live the kind of life that exemplifies the Lord God? Has anyone ever asked you about your life and why it might be different? 
whether you're helping them or whatever, they see something unique in you. They saw this in Jesus. And so, before we go further with this miracle and with the the feeding of the 4,000, I want to just make a few differences to share with you that it is a different story. With the 5,000, they met with Jesus for one day. With the 4,000, they were there three days. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he ordered them to sit down and ordered them in groups on green grass. And here, uh, with the 4,000, there's no mention of that. And Jesus offered prayer of thanks. And they say that he offered the prayer of thanks once with the 5,000, but with the 4,000, both with the bread and with the fish, two times. And here Jesus used seven loaves, where with the 5,000, he used five loaves with two fish. And here it was seven loaves with a few fish. And the, you, the, the interesting thing here is there were two words that were different in, in describing the basket full that, of a, a, a food that was left over. With the, uh, the 12, it was a small basket, a, a, a basket full of, uh, that you would carry along with your food, you know, if you went out on a picnic or something, something along that line. But this other one with the seven, this was a large hamper-like basket. Matter of fact, the same word is used for the hamper-like basket that they hid Paul in to help him escape over in Acts. So it was that large. So the two miracles were done for two different groups of people. This is primarily in a, a Gentile predominant area where the 5,000 was primarily for Jews. And also with the 5,000, what did he do afterwards? He talked about the bread of life, didn't he? But he didn't do that here. So these are two distinct miracles and therefore a purpose. And they're also to teach us with that purpose that Jesus, one main purpose is that he's all sufficient to meet our needs. And this was so important for him being the bread of life. He was teaching that to the disciples in both places, I believe, so that he would let them know that he was the all-sufficient one. But with that, repetition as someone has said, is the mother of learning. And that's what these disciples were doing. They were learning. The disciples had learned something from the first miracle, and that miracle was that Jesus talked about being the bread of life. And they could understand that, it being for the Jews. But here in Gentile territory, he didn't mention the being the bread of life, but he did want that emphasis to be reinforced in the disciples' minds because this bread of life would not only be for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. So Matthew states the reason for feeding the 4,000. He says he looks at them and he has compassion for the multitude. My heart goes out for them, in other words. Because they had been with him for three days, it says, and they had nothing to eat. And 
whatever food they had brought along, now it was gone evidently. And so knowing that they would experience hunger and they'd be physically weak, fainting, he wanted them to be fed before they went home. Now look at the reaction of the disciples in verse 33. And the disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in a desert place, in an uninhabited area, where there's no fast food places or whatever, to satisfy such a great multitude? That was, their perspective was mere human reaction. By their senses, they failed to remember the desired need that the people had earlier and who met that desired need. How quickly forgotten was the miracle of chapter 14, the feeding of the 5,000. They were slow in hearing and slow to learn. But before we get too critical of them, we need to realize that we go through the same situations, don't we? How many times have we had to be placed in an area where we had to learn all over again what we didn't learn before? It may be with some boss and God is teaching you and maybe that boss is, is a, a, a mean person or a, a person that's hard to get along with. But then... You're not trusting him the way that you should. And so what happens is you either up and leave or you get irritated and you fight back and then you are asked to leave. And then you go to the next place and guess what kind of boss you have again. Or maybe it's in the home with the children and they're, they're learning something and they're having to learn something and the parents having to place them again in the same situation where, or they're placed in the same situation where they have to learn it and it be being repeated over and over and over again. And so we go through the same situation as with the disciples. And so as with the 5,000, the miracle was primarily a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ and his vast sufficiency. And that's the same, that's the, one of the main purposes here in this, uh, this passage. But, may I say, he did not teach the bread of life afterwards to this people, to these people, because, yes, he wanted the disciples to learn it because they were Jews and they needed to, to carry out his ministry. But these Gentile people, it wouldn't have meant anything to them. And so, as he gave the explanation earlier, with the, earlier uh, with the miracle earlier, he did not hear, and it was for a purpose. He just wanted them to shut, he wanted them to see the sufficiency that came from him, and it came from his God, his God the Father. And that God, they recognized, didn't they? They said, hey. Uh, you know, we give praise to him. So, verse 35, Jesus tells us that he directed them to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and fish, and giving thanks, he broke them, 
and started giving them to the disciples and disciples in turn to the multitudes. Here, once again, he uses the disciples to distribute the food and it illustrates a fact and reinforces it in their mind as well as in our mind that the Lord often performed his work by using others, through others. And he does the same thing today. He wants to work through each and every one of you. If you are a Christian, and if you are a part of the body of Christ, he wants to work through you. Now, the question is, are we allowing him to work through us? It's not that he doesn't desire to work through us. It's that he wants to, he desires to, but are we allowing him to? And a lot of times, we may be wondering why we're so unhappy and why this and why that. And it may be, we, maybe, I'm not saying it is always, but it may be that we, going back to the learning process, have not learned what God is teaching us. And that is he's wanting to work through us. And we need to be available and, and obedient to him. So, we see that uh, God's supplies always meet and exceeds the demands. There, there's a few things I want to mention. First, several details about this. Number one is they all ate, didn't they? None of them were left out. It was them. If, if any of them were left out, it was because they chose not to be left uh, to eat. And the same today. God's salvation, he says he's come to seek and to save those that are lost. Those that refuse the gospel, the working of the Holy Spirit, it is left up to them. It's not God's fault. He doesn't send some to heaven and some to hell. He doesn't choose that. Okay, you were chosen before the foundation of the world to go to hell. He comes to seek and to save those which were lost. That means every one of them. And if you refuse, if anyone in this world refuses to, uh, to accept God's grace when God comes knocking on their door, then it's their fault. It's not God. People do, cannot and should not blame God for their disobedience and their refusal of God's grace. So we see that God supply, first of all, that uh, they all ate. Second of all, I mean, it was offered for all of them. Second of all, those that ate, they were satisfied, weren't they? God's salvation will satisfy us. We, you may say, well, you know, I'm going through this problem. I'm going through this difficulty. I'm, going, I'm having this uh, situation in my life. And, and I, I just, you know, I, I'm just not satisfied. I'm not satisfied, uh, you know, uh, where I am or, or what I'm doing. Well, that's not God's problem. The satisfaction is there. What we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to go beyond the physical, as I said earlier, and look to the spiritual and realize that God has something wonderful for us and that he's with us wherever we are and that 
whatever the difficulty, whatever we're going through, God is with us and that we can rejoice in the sense that we know that he's never going to leave us and also that he is working a work or desiring to work a work in our lives to strengthen our faith so that we can rejoice in seeing and there again we need to have our eyes open to the spiritual every day. We can see God at work and be at all amazed as, as they are. Saying, you know, I couldn't have made it through this. Man, what an awesome God this is. No, I didn't enjoy the hurt and the pain, but I sure did enjoy realizing that God never left me. He was beside me. He was with me. He was in me. He was helping me. He was leading me. He loved me. He had compassion for me. I didn't think that he did, but I see now how he had compassion for me. And then, third, the remaining pieces were collected as before, but this time it was in a large basket, as I said, big enough to hold a person, as with Paul. You see, God's supply always meets and exceeds the demand. And as we obey Christ and let him supply our needs, then we will be satisfied. This illustrates the Lord's ability to feed his people with spiritual food that completely satisfies. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Seven baskets full. I believe we can go overboard a lot of times with spiritual spiritualizing numbers, you know, and thinking everything, every number, you know. I, I remember when the Antichrist, they, they started spelling out all these names and numbers, and we, we start spiritualizing too much. But I believe that numbers that are obviously symbolic, as I believe that they are here with the 5,000 and the 4,000, the baskets that were left over, I believe that it, it is truly symbolic here, and it gives us a meaning. One is the 5,000 Jews that were fed, we see that there were 12 baskets left over. And this was symbolic of God's full provision for the 12 tribes of Israel. And also, we see seven baskets the fullness and completeness there. As Christ is more than sufficient <clears throat> for the, uh, the whole world. Not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. So when the people came to Jesus to eat, we see that they were exhausted. That they were in need. That they were powerless. But Christ's power to feed them was not. And this is typical in the way that the Lord blesses those who release their resources for his use. I just want to mention these things in closing. As I mentioned earlier, repetition is the mother of learning. Use it or lose it. We need to constantly be learning as God places us in these situations. Because it's so easy to lose it. 
to not remember about it. We need to have our eyes open. The disciples needed to learn the lack of their resources and the abundance of God's resources. Second of all, Jesus always adapts his teaching to the needs and the understanding of the people to whom he is ministering to. As we mentioned, the Gentiles were not taught the significance of the, uh, you know, the bread of life. They were just taught the significance of Jesus doing the healing and him being a Jew. And then the goal of ministry, third, is worship. Most of the multitude at the, uh, in Decapolis were pagan Gentiles. But they saw Jesus perform these miracles. They knew that he represented the true God. They didn't understand that he was God-man. But they knew that he represented the, the, true, the, the God of Israel. And they were astonished. And they glorified the God of Israel. And then next... We're most usable for the Lord when we acknowledge our own lack of resources and turn to Him. You know, Philippians tells us in 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Not it's not me. It's just like with salvation. We talk about it over and over again. We come to Christ not on our own merits, not on our own strength, not on our own anything. We come humbly bowing before the Lord, recognizing that He is a Savior, and by faith just trusting Him, casting ourselves upon Him. That's our walk of faith. We're to cast ourselves upon the Lord every day of our life. God's resources are never diminished or exhausted. God has an infinite capacity to create. God is capable of doing his work without us, but he's chosen to include us in his plan by working through us. What a wonderful blessing and opportunity. May we make the most of it. God supplies, always meets, and exceeds the demand. But we've got to see that. His grace was sufficient for all things, wasn't it? It is sufficient for all things. And we need to, to grasp all of that. We need to recognize that we worship and serve a compassionate God who cares for us. He suffers with his people. He feels their pain. The Lord's compassion restricts his judgment and extends his mercy, giving fallen mankind opportunity to repent and be saved. Over and over again, God showed compassion on his people when they were in need, despite their sin and rebellion against him. That's a loving and caring God, isn't it? Let's bow our heads in prayer.